pray together. Oh God, that's what we want to do. We want to walk in your light. In a land where there is darkness, we want to walk in your light, Lord Jesus. Let the light shine upon us over these next few moments in the Word, and let the Word be clear. Dear God, we pray in Christ's name. Amen. Among the emails that I have received since our time together last Sabbath are two. One from a doctoral student on campus, and the other from a faculty leader also on campus here at Andrews University. Let me read to you the one from uh, the doctoral student. Hi, Dwight. I was passing by PMC, Pioneer Memorial Church, yesterday morning. That would have been on Tuesday on my way to doctoral classes and saw the sun streaming through the clouds above the sanctuary. I worshiped with you on Sabbath. So this is a doctoral student that's off campus that comes here in the summer. I worshiped with you on Sabbath, heard your call for prayer, and will join my prayers with yours for God to pour out His Spirit at Andrews right now. What, what if the students came back in August, September, and the revival is in full swing? Wow. And he signs his name. He attached the picture. I want you to see the picture. Put it on the screen. So he's walking through the uh, parking lot, and uh, there, there is the silhouette. And I just love the way that sun, can you see the sun, just the, the, the shaft of that sunlight hitting the north, the north annex over here? You know, wouldn't it be something if the heavens would open up over this campus and the glory of God would come streaming down upon this university? You suppose God wants that to, to be a reality? Are you kidding? I mean, we got this theme text for this, this mini-series that we're in the middle of right now. What is he saying here? Open your Bible, please, to uh, the, the book of Isaiah. We, we began last week and we end uh, next time. It's just three-parter. Isaiah chapter 43. Take a look at this text again. Are you kidding? You, don't you think this is what he is talking about? Isaiah chapter 43, verse 19. You say, Dwight, I didn't bring a Bible. That's okay. Grab the pew Bible in front of you. It's page uh, 489 in the pew Bible. You got your tablet. You got your phone. It doesn't matter. Bible's everywhere these days. Pull your Bible out. Take a look at Isaiah 43. I'm going to be in the New King James Version. Isaiah 43. Isaiah 43, verse 19. God speaking. Behold, I will do a new thing. Now, I want to hit the pause button right there. Behold, I will do a new thing. In fact, so new is this thing that he's going to do that he's already spoken, verse 18. We didn't notice verse 18 last week, so look, look, look at verse 18. Do not, God's still speaking, do not remember the former things, nor consider the things of old. God's not, God's not saying, hey, guys, I wish you'd just forget about the past. Are you kidding? The past is one of the great teachers of the human race. We learn through history. But what he's saying is, I know we've had the past, but wait till you see what's ahead for us. Or if he were speaking in the vernacular of this generation, he'd say, you ain't seen nothing yet. I mean, forget it. Look, I'm going to do a new thing. Read it with me, verse 19. Behold, I will do a new thing. Now it shall spring forth, and you, shall you not know it? I will even make a road in the wilderness and rivers in the desert. The beast of the field will honor me, the jackals and the ostriches. Because I give waters in the wilderness and rivers in the desert to give drink to my people, my chosen, verse 21, this people I have formed for myself, they shall declare my praise. I mean, we noted this last week, four times, two verses. 
Water, water. Let's pull the slide out of last week and put it back right here. So he's talking about rivers in the desert. Then he's talking about waters in the wilderness. Then it's back to rivers in the desert. And then he says, I need to give a drink to my people, my chosen one. What's up with all this water? You know why he's big on water? Because it is a huge metaphor that he's about to introduce. Isaiah 44, right across the page. Verse 3, just verse 3. Look at this. Here it comes. Here's that water talk. Verse 3, for I, God's still speaking, I will pour water on her who is thirsty. Isn't that something? I will pour water on him who is thirsty and floods. There it is again on the dry ground. I will pour my spirit on your descendants and my blessing on your offspring. Let's pull that slide out of last week because we had a A equals B equals C equals D uh, reality here. Water equals floods equals my spirit equals my blessing. I will pour out my spirit on those who are thirsty for me. Now, here's this other email that I told you about. Okay, so this is from a faculty leader at Andrews University. Dear Pastor Dwight on Sabbath, I made a commitment after, after your message to commit to join Andrews' preseason of fervent prayer for revival. Preseason, that's a little word we, we, we uh, got to thinking about last week because every major sport in the United States, we're in Major League Baseball right now, then what's coming next? It'll be, uh, what, football, then it'll be uh, hockey, and then it will be basketball. Come on. We just live in this cycle. But every, every major sport has a preseason. I mean, you're dead meat. If you just go straight into the season with no preseason, it's over. You need the preseason for preparation. You need the preseason for practice. You need to get ready for the real thing, and then the season starts. And so we were just wondering last week, what if we had a preseason before the new year here at Andrews? 90 days from today, listen to this, 90 days from today, the new year at Andrews University begins. What if we call this a preseason? And we decided to take this promise of God and take it seriously. In fact, let's put the two verses together, put it on the screen for you. I will do a new thing and pour water on those who are thirsty and my spirit on your children. We've got 3,600 children of the kingdom here. I'm going to pour my spirit on your children. If you're thirsty, I'll do a new thing. So that's why this faculty leader is writing. I made a commitment after the message to commit to joining Andrew's preseason of fervent prayer for revival. I have been praying since then for God's new thing to be revealed on campus. Now listen to this. Not only for our students, but for our staff and faculty as well. In addition, I'm praying this very prayer for my personal life. Good for you. I am so thirsty for God, and I so very want God to use me to be a blessing to those He has entrusted me to serve here at Andrew's. Now. Here's what's so amazing, all caps, amazing. This morning, while I was having my personal devotions, this was the Bible verse of the day. Psalm 42, verse 2, I thirst for God, for the living God. This is on Monday when she's having these devotions. When can I go and stand before him? I'm thirsty for him. Oh, I was moved and I smiled as I sensed God's presence in a very real way. So thus, my prayer. Now, catch this line. I thought this was a very provocative way to put this. I'm going to run a line by you. You just have to hear it. You won't see it. Not quite yet. Thus, my prayer for us today is that our thirst for God may never cease to be unquenchable. Can you follow that? It's a double negative. I pray that my thirst, our thirst for God will never cease to be unquenchable. I think that line is provocative enough to jot it down. 
You want to grab, grab your study guide right now. Let's do that. Take your study guide. Good. Let's go. You got a study guide? Oh, you didn't get one? Here comes our friendly ushers. Here they come. Just hold your hand up. We'll make sure that everybody here gets that study guide. Yeah, I want to get, I want to get this line down. Get the line down. Hold your hand up, up in the balcony. We'll get the study guide to you. Those of you who are watching right now, we're delighted to have you as well. In fact, let me put our, web, our uh, website on the screen for you. You see it there? This is the, this is the little mini-series. We've already had one part. We have the second part and then uh, third part next time. I will do a new thing. That's the title of the mini-series. Last week was the promise. This week's the prayer. Next time's the purpose. By the way, if you missed last week, just go to the website, www.pmchurch.tv. The study guide for today, you look under the prayer, the study guide for today is there. You click onto it. Those of you who are watching live streaming, we're glad to have you as well. You click onto it, you'll have the same study guide. And I'd love to have you have that sentence. So hold your hand up. Here come the ushers your way. We got to go. Just jot this down. So God is speaking first. God says, what does he say? I will do a new thing. Here's the promise. For I will pour water on those who are thirsty. Write in the word thirsty. Water on those who are thirsty and my spirit on your children. Jot that down. God says, I'll do a new thing. I'll pour water on you. And then you have the sons of Korah. They're the ones that compose that song, Psalm 42. And I love it here. I love it in the common English Bible. You're going to like it too. Fill it in. Just like a deer that craves streams of water. I like that rendition. Just like a deer that craves streams of water, my whole being craves you, God. My whole being thirsts for God, for the living God. When will I come and see God's face? I crave. I crave you. God, when will I come and see your face? I'm thirsty for you. Oh, thank you, faculty leader, for pointing that out to us. I need to tell you that in all my Bibles, when I, at, on the page for Psalm 42, I write this sentence down. You have it now in your study guide. It's from the little classic, Christ's Object Lessons, a little book on the parables of Jesus. I love this slide. Look at this. Let your heart break. What does it mean to crave? What does it mean to thirst? Let your heart break for the longing it has for God, for the living God. That last phrase is directly out of Psalm 42. Let your heart break for the longing it has for God, for the living God. Crave, thirst, break. You get the idea of some kind of intensity here? And then her line, this faculty leader, she's in the School of Education. There's a line, thus my prayer for us today is that our thirst for God may never cease to be unquenchable. In other words, may we never quit being unthirsty for God. I got that wrong. It's those double negatives that are throwing me. May we never quit being thirsty. That's it. I knew something was wrong. May we never quit being thirsty for God. Oh, put that promise up again. I will do a new thing and pour water on those who are thirsty and my spirit on your children. Question. How eager do you suppose God is for you and me to claim this stunning promise? A few weeks ago, Karen and I announced to you the glad tidings that we are going to become grandparents in October. Mm -hmm. October 16 to be exact. I know I said October 15, but the date has changed. I'll keep you posted. <laughs> October 16 now. Our son Kirk's a physician recruiter up in the Lakeland Health System. Our daughter-in-law Chelsea, his wife, she's student activities director here at Andrews University. So they're going to have their first, their first baby and be our first grandchild. 
I mean, we are, we, are just, we are just jazzed over this. In fact, on Mother's Day, on Mother's Day, we took, all four of us went out for dinner. Then after dinner, guess where we went? Babies are us. <laughs> Man, when we had our kids, there was no such thing as babies are us. We had toys are us. Then we finally got kids are us. But now, can you believe this? They have babies are us. The whole store just makes you drool for a baby. Unbelievable. I tell you what, this generation, though, they're doing things... They're doing things so different. They're going to, get this, they're going to have a gender coming out party. <laughs> I get either this week or next week, they're going to get the picture taken. Shh, they're not going to tell anybody. Nobody knows. Have a little party for family, some family and some friends, and then they'll announce it. Some of the ways I hear that they're doing this are they're, they're serving a white angel food cake. You cut it open. Is the, is the cake pink or blue? And that's how they announce it. Oh, please. And I tell you what, the, the reality is, of course, that the great thing about being a grandparent is that you get all the joy of childbirth without the pain. That's, that's just great. In fact, like one grandparent quip, quipped, if I had known having grandchildren was this, was this fun, I'd have had them first. Yeah. You say, Dwight, what does that have to do with this very serious subject of Isaiah? Well, I tell you, it has everything to do with it because Isaiah is now going to talk about childbirth. How serious is God about us being serious about His promise? Take a look at this. I'm going to take you to a line you have never read before. You've read through it. You never have stopped on that line and, and, and brooded over this. Never have, I promise you. You see me afterwards if you have, and there'll be a prize for you. And Debbie, you'll get the prize for them. Just have them ready for something. All right. It's the very last page of Isaiah 66, the, 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 the last page of Isaiah, which is Isaiah 66. Have you ever seen this before? This verse is the key. It's the secret to what we're embarking on in this preseason of prayer. Isaiah 66, I'll find it. Yep, here it is. It's all about childbirth. We'll pick it up in verse 7. Before she was in labor, she gave birth. Whoa, sometimes the baby just, baby comes before you even have labor. Whoa, how did you do that? Keep reading. She delivered a male child. Be before her pain came, she delivered a male child. Now, here's where we're going. Verse 8. Who has heard such a thing? Who has seen such things? Shall the earth be made to give birth in one day, or shall a nation be born at once? Now, here comes the line for our brooding together. For as soon as Zion was in labor, she gave birth to her children. Did you catch that? Let me read that again. For as soon as Zion was in labor, she gave birth to her children. The old King James reads, For as soon as Zion was in travail, as soon as Zion travailed, she gave birth to her children. Amazing. I mean, who is this Zion? Zion is God's, is, is God's chosen name for His people in the Old Testament. In fact, jot this down, will you? In the Old Testament, God's people are called Zion, and in the New Testament, they're called church. Write that in. Church. They are the called out ones. They are the chosen ones. I mean, we just read this in Isaiah 43, verse 20, a moment ago. God said, I'll pour out rivers in the desert to give drink to my people, my chosen. See, that's Zion. What God is declaring, would you jot this down too, please? What God is declaring through Isaiah 66, verse 8, is that as soon as Zion, we'll call this the church, as soon as Zion is in travail or in labor, she will give birth to her children. She must travail first. 
Keep writing. In other words, a new spiritual generation of children will not be birthed without travailing or laboring in the church. In fact, that's Paul's point. The great apostle Paul takes the, the, the word in the Septuagint, which is the Greek Old Testament for being travailing or laboring. Paul takes that same word and inserts it right here in Galatians chapter 4, verse 19. My little children for whom I travail, I labor in birth again until Christ is formed in you. Isn't that something? I, I want you to see this in the New Living Translation. Put, put that up, please, the New Living. But, oh, my dear children, I feel as if I'm going through labor pains for you again, and they will continue until Christ is fully developed in your lives. Wow. What's the point, Dwight? The point is crystal clear, my friends. When you are pleading with God to birth a new generation of spiritual children, we talked about last week, a new generation of moral leaders. The nation, the world is suffering from a dearth of moral leaders, and so is the church. We're losing out. We're losing out the world like this, this, this giant African land snail. The world is just... It's just eating us up. We need a new generation of moral leaders on this campus. I told you last week about Jose, our chaplain Jose, and he's interviewing these students for uh, potential... Student chaplains, and to a person, he's finding out that there's just this dearth. What's happening? Got a letter from one of our deans this week, and she said, you know what? It's what we, it, it is a challenge for us all. The whole point of, of Isaiah 66, verse 8 is that when you're pleading with God to birth a new generation of spiritual children, guess what? It is hard work. That's why they call it labor. Just ask Paul. Just ask Isaiah. Jot this down. Prayer for the revival of a university is like going through labor pains. It is travailing or prevailing before God on behalf of the young. But unless the community of faith is willing to invest significant spiritual energy, keep, keep writing, to labor before God on their behalf, a new generation will not be spiritually birthed. You don't, you don't get it. You just don't get it with a little, a little zip of a prayer. It won't happen. You say, ah, oh, come on, Dwight. I, haven't, I, I have not been really, I have not been called to pray for the young. I pray for everybody. Well, good for you. You're in the wrong church, that's all. You need to join the church across the street. They pray for everybody. There is only one church on earth. Only one church on earth that carries on her heart night and day a university called Andrews. And on that great judgment day, when this church stands at the bar of God, the single question will be, did you, did you travail? Did you pray? Did you seek to save the children I sent to you? No other church will have to answer that question. We'll be the only ones. So you want to pray for everybody? Find another church. This church has a mission. That's why it's put on this campus. Ninety days from now, a new school year at Andrews University begins. Let us not do what we've done every year past that you and I have been together. Here's what we've done. Okay, now it's, oh, oh good night. This is the opening day. Let's start. Let's pray that we have a good year, shall we? Let's have a good, let's have a little prayer for a good year. What a mistake. 
We need a pre-season of prayer. We need a travailing. We need a, we need a laboring in prayer on behalf of the children of this community of faith. Ninety days. What would happen if you and I covenant to, to pray every, every day over these 90 days? I will pray for God to do a new thing at Andrews University. I will pray for God to pour out His Spirit on, on the thirsty. I will pray for God to pour out His blessing on the children of this movement. I will pray and pray for 90 days I will pray. Is that too much? Jesus comes to Peter who's sleeping and John and James. He says, guys, couldn't you have prayed for one hour? with me just one hour travailing prevailing laboring in prayer nobody else will do it nobody else on this planet will do it if we abandon our mission it's over who else is going to do it every church has its hands full is God playing hard to get with Zion no he's not since the fall of the human race, we all know childbirth has become a painful labor of love. So will you jot this down, please? A quickie prayer will not deliver a single child. Quick, quick, pray. Okay, thank you. Committee starting. That was it. That was it. This committee now begins, this departmental meeting now begins. That was it. Are you serious? A quickie prayer will not save a single student. Travail. Labor, then the children are born again. Wesley Duell, in his book, Mighty Prevailing Prayer, has written, I put these words on the screen, you'll need to fill it out. The great need of our world, our nation, and our churches is people who know how to prevail in prayer. Moments of pious wishes blandly expressed to God once or twice a day will bring little change on earth or among the people. Kind thoughts expressed to him in five or six sentences after reading a paragraph or two of mildly religious sentiments once a day from some devotional writing will not bring the kingdom of God to earth, will not shake the gates of hell, will not repel the attacks of evil on our culture and our civilization, and write this down, I'm adding this, and our campus. Prevailing prayer, Duell goes on, is holy work, fervent labor, end quote. And it's the only way, it's the only way God can possibly do a new thing on this campus. Revival and salvation will come to Andrews University and Pioneer in no other way. Put it on the screen. For as soon as Zion was in labor, then, that's the word, then, after labor and travail, then she gave birth to her children. Mighty, travailing, prevailing prayer, just like Paul's praying, is hard labor. That's the point. It's hard. Well, come on, Dwight. You know what? Why, why doesn't Jesus just get with it and not try to correlate what he does on this campus with our praying. It doesn't seem very fair at all to correlate everything to whether somebody's praying or not. Are you serious? It's the other way around. It would be absolutely unfair for Christ to look down here and do a new thing when nobody wants a new thing. Why would he do that? He would be forcing himself upon us. And he loves us too much to do that. We have to take the initiative. That's why there's a verse 
right after the promise of a new thing. We've left it out, but now we go to it. I want you to see this. Back in Isaiah 43, remember God says, I'm going to do a new thing. There are going to be waters in the desert, rivers, rivers in the wilderness. I'll give you water to drink. We left this verse out, but now, look at, look at, look, look at verse 22. God gives this incredible promise, this new offer. But, verse 22, God says, but you, Israel, you have not called upon me, O Jacob, and you have been weary of me, O Israel. I mean, can you believe it? This grand and glorious promise. I'm going to do a new thing, but there's a catch in his throat. There's a catch in his heart, and it's almost as if God's embarrassed. He's embarrassed that he has to bring this up in public because he's saying, look, I have all of this for you, but you know what? You're tired of me. I know it. You're just plain tired of me. You're weary of me. You don't want this. You don't want this. Oh, my. Am I tired of God? Is that what's happened? Am I weary? Are you weary of God? I know you're not. I know you're not. And I praise God for the 247 of you last Sabbath who said, you know what, I'm putting, my, I'm putting myself on the line here. And I'm going to pray. I'm going to pray every single day, now 90, until the new year for God to do a new thing, to pour out His Spirit on those who are thirsty. I'll join you, Dwight. 247. Wow. Amazing. You say, hey, come on, Dwight, really, please. I mean, what does it matter whether five of us pray or 500 of us pray? I mean, as long as a prayer gets up there, it's okay. Are you? That's a very good question, by the way. And it's a fair question. In fact, I asked that question of the eminent British physicist and Anglican clergyman named John Polkinghorne. Some, a few years ago, I was interviewing him right here on this uh, platform one Sabbath morning. And I said, Dr. Polkinghorne, how does this thing work about praying? And you got to have more people praying. And he looked at me for a moment and he just said, you know, he says, this is how I think it works. I think prayer is a lot like a laser beam. The more strands of light that are woven together within the beam, the more powerful that beam becomes. One strand's not enough. You got to have more. And then three weeks ago, two weeks ago, I come across, can you believe this? I come across words written a century ago that in fact show Pokinghorn is dead on. He's right. Now, she was not a physicist, the author of these words, Ellen White, but she knew how to travail like Paul in prayer. I want you to listen to this. Notice Pokinghorn's point right here. Put it on the screen for you. You need to fill it in. We are encouraged to pray for success here on this campus with the divine assurance that our prayers will be heard and answered. And then here come the words of Jesus. I love Matthew 18. These are, you, you know these words. Jesus said, If two of you shall agree on earth as touching anything that they shall ask, it shall be done for them of my Father which is in heaven. For where two or three are gathered together in my name, there am I in the midst of them. Jesus says, ask of me, and I will answer your request. Now, here comes Polkinghorne's point. 
The promise is made on condition that the united, write that word in, that means collective, that means there's a whole bunch of us that are united in this. The, the promise is made on the condition that the united prayers of the church are offered. Now this is going to, this is stunning. And in answer to these prayers, there may be expected a power greater than that which comes in answer to private prayer. Write in the word greater. In other words, you say, hey, Dwight, Dwight, I'm, I'm just going to pray. You just, you just got me praying. Well, I'm so glad that you're praying. Please don't underestimate one prayer. But what we just read says, no, 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 no. Get two, get 10, get, get 100, get 247 banded together, and the power unleashed is greater for the 247 than for the one. That's why we're having this mini-series. We're going to count down to the new year together. We're not just saying, okay, Pastor, just, just pray over your sabbatical this summer. We just, just pray hard. No, we'll pray together. We will pray and band together. And that beam, woven with those extra strands, boom, there is no mountain, there is no wall that can stand in the way of what God wants to do. I will do a new thing. I'll pour out water on those of you who are thirsty, and I will bless and save your children by my spirit. Wow, Poking Horn was right. It's only when Zion travails in unity together that the laser power of the Holy Spirit is unleashed and there is the birthing of a revived, spiritually transformed generation of young and not so young. Moral leaders start standing up like, where did she come from? She's been here three years. We've never seen her like that. Where did he come from? Suddenly they start standing up the church has been travailing. This congregation, the only congregation on earth that's been assigned this task, has been prevailing with God and saying, God, raise up a new generation. We plead with you, raise up a new generation. There's a reason it's called labor. It's hard work. It's hard work. Do you suppose, now I need you to really, uh, this, I'm going to press against some of your sensibilities right now. Do you suppose... The enemy of the human race. Do you know who that is? Do you know who the enemy of the human race is? Okay. Do you suppose the enemy of the human race, who happens to be the enemy of Andrews University, do you know who I'm talking, of whom I speak? Who happens to also be your enemy and my enemy? Do you suppose Satan wants a new thing from God done in this place? Are you crazy? He is going to fight this tooth and nail. Oh, yeah, I know you signed that little car. Poof. Distract, distract, distract. Forget, forget, forget. And then the thought will, be, the thought will begin to grow. You know what? I mean, look at what, anything changed around here? <laughs> they look the same to me. It doesn't look like anything's happening around here. Why did I do this? That's all it takes. He knows. If you get the strands of light bound together, he knows. He knows the power. He's seen it before. And he'll do everything in his own dark power to prevent it from ever, ever happening in this place. You say, you're making that up, Dwight. You're just making that up. You're trying to hype me up. No, I'm not. That little lady, these are her words, not in your study guide. Got this after we put the study guide together. You see it on the screen. There'll be a reference if you want to scribble it down at the end. There is nothing, listen to this, there is nothing 
that Satan fears so much is that the people of God shall clear the way by removing every hindrance so that the Lord can pour out His Spirit upon a languishing and an impenitent congregation. Now, here we go. If Satan had his way, there would never be another awakening, great or small, to the end of time. Forget this new thing. Forget this new thing. Psst, psst, psst. Forget this new thing. There's nothing new. It's, it's just forget, forget. If he had his way, there'd never be an awakening great or small, to the end of time. But we are not ignorant of his devices. It is possible to resist his power. When the way is prepared for the Spirit of God, the blessing will come. I'll pour out my Spirit on your descendants and my blessing upon your offspring. The blessing will come. Satan can no more hinder a shower of blessing from descending upon God's people than he can close the windows of heaven and rain cannot come upon the earth. Wow. Ladies and gentlemen, would you be reminded of this critical hour in history we now live? Huh? Would you be reminded of that? The times in which we live. This is not namby-pamby time. This is travailing, prevailing time. What happens at Andrews University and you know this is true. What happens at Andrews University has an immediate global implication. Immediate. If it happens here. So, somebody would not want anything to happen here. We'd just be glad we're in some magazine that says we're a great university. That's all you need. It is not all we need. We're on the cusp of eternity, and there will be a people that will travail with God for the birth of a new generation, which is why it means we as leaders must step up to the plate. You know, you, you know yourself to be a leader. I don't have to tell you. You just know you're a leader. Of course you're a leader. By the way, John Maxwell's definition of leader is very good. Anybody who has influence, nothing more, nothing less. If you have influence, you're a leader. If you're a father with children, you are a leader. If you are a mother with children, you are a leader. If you're a roommate with a friend, you are a leader. If you're the head of a department, you are a leader. If you're an administrator, you're a leader. If you're a pastor, your leader. Which is why it means that we as leaders must step up to the plate. Our priorities must reflect God's promise. It is incumbent upon us to model to our associates this passion of God. We personally must travail before God ourselves. Everybody watches to see what the leader will do. If she does it, we'll do it. If he does it, we'll do it. To fail, to step forward now, for me, is to fail the reason of my calling. It's that way for every leader. You're an older brother and you got a little sister, you're a leader. What you do, boy, she sees, you're a leader. You're an older sister and you have a younger brother, you're a leader. What you do, girl, they all see, 
you're a leader. If you have influence, you're a leader. Isaiah 66, verse 8, we end with this. Let's put it on the screen. For as soon as Zion was in labor, she gave birth to her children. And ladies and gentlemen, that is the truth about Calvary. You remember the Garden of Gethsemane? You remember the Garden of Gethsemane? Do you? What is Jesus doing in the Garden of Gethsemane? You know what he's doing? He is travailing. He is prevailing in prayer. He is so intense, by the way, that what's coming out of him, what's coming out of Christ in the Garden of Gethsemane, what is coming out of him? Blood like sweat. That's called prevailing. That's called travailing. In fact, Hebrews chapter 5, verse 7 describes him in the Garden of Gethsemane this way. He offered up prayers and petitions with loud cries and tears to the one who could save him from death, and he was heard because of his reverent submission. With loud cries and tears. What are you saying, Dwight? I got to sweat blood over this? No, I'm not saying that. You can't. Your mission is not that big, but it's still critical. Travail, travail before God. On behalf of this campus and this university, He'll not ask another church on earth, hey, what were you praying? Were you praying for Andrews? No, only one will be asked. So I plead with you. Plead before Jesus. Just plead before him. Jesus. I'm not asking for a little quickie prayer here to deliver a single soul. I'm, I'm, I'm begging you. Do something in this place, a new thing we have never seen before. So 90 days now begin. I hope you'll join me, please. I beg of you, join me. I believe that the strands that are woven together, I believe that that's going to, if you're not there, we're missing your strand. God is ready to do a new thing. Not in response to some sort of emotionalism, but from a deep sense that if he doesn't do a new thing, we're back to doing the old thing again and again and again. I want to pray with you. I want to pray with you. Dear God, we got it. I mean, it's there. We have it clear now you want to do a new thing. That new thing is about water. It's about the pouring out of floods on dry ground, your spirit upon a generation, your blessing upon an offspring. That's all of us, Father. To him, to her, to them who are thirsty. We get it. We get it. We got that part. We also get what Isaiah is saying. Come on, you, you have to travail. You, you have to go into labor over this. It's not going to just a quick prayer that happens. No, join me. Join me. Isaiah says, pray, travail like Jesus did, like Paul did, like Isaiah did. Holy Father, we get it. Here's my prayer, Father. Raise up this critical mass. I know we have an enemy. I know we're in a war. But greater is he who is in us than he who is in the world. Just hold him in check. Don't let me forget, Father. Every morning, in that little prayer closet, in that prayer corner, every day, we're asking, 
bind the strands together, blow open the wall between us and eternity, and get an entire generation through moral leaders raised up for such a time as this. Thank you, Father. Thank you very, very much. In Jesus' name, amen. I wanted to take an extra moment to let you know how grateful I am you joined us today. I hear from viewers and listeners like you all across this nation and literally around the world, and I'm thankful. Because it's through the generosity of the members of this congregation and people like you that we're able to bring you this program. So if what we share today has touched your heart, I'd like to invite you to become a financial partner with us. Just give us a call. Toll-free number 877, the two words, His Will. 877, His Will, or if you'd rather, Go to our website, www.pmchurch.tv. Either way, your generosity will bless a new generation in cyberspace all over this planet. So thank you. Thank you very much for your partnership.